Hello everyone, welcome back to Attention to Detail. This is Jacob joining you as always. And today we are going to be continuing with our series, closing out our series on listening tips for specific eras of music. So we've already talked about the Baroque, the Classical, and the Romantic. And today we're going to be talking about modern or contemporary music. Those two terms are often used somewhat interchangeably to talk about the music written after around 1910, 1915. They might, to some people, mean different things. Contemporary music might be music that's being still written today, maybe postmodern music. The term modern often refers to the specific era of modernism that occurred around the turn of the the 20th century and and shortly thereafter. But for our purposes, we're just going to be talking about music written after that year of around 1910. But it's not exclusively that type of music. There was still kind of post-romantic music being written until the 40s, the 50s. If you listen to a piece by late Rachmaninoff, for example, that's going to be highly romantic music that was written 30 years after a lot of the early modern works were were being premiered. But modern music is kind of distinct and unique in that it's exploding our idea of what music can actually be, expanding all of the parameters that we understand about classical music to their really to their absolute maximum, often breaking these parameters of of classical music, much like modernism in art, in literature, in dance. And so when we're talking about listening to modern music, as we've done on all these episodes, I want to give you some tips for listening. And I think in the case of modern music, this is probably going to be the trickiest, but also maybe the most valuable. Because I think for many people, they find modern and contemporary music to be the least accessible kind of major genre of classical music. I think modern music is what turns a lot of people off from classical music because it feels very complex and dense. And it's also thought of as highly inaccessible. It's kind of, in some ways, like modern art, you know, people go and and they see a painting that's half white, half black with a line down the middle, and they go, what am I supposed to take away from this um, versus a Van Gogh or a Monet? And I think modern music often has that kind of stigma behind it as well, and it's it's challenging for people. This is also going to be a challenging episode because modern music compared to the other eras that we've talk about, talked about is by far the most diverse in style. Because what was happening during this time is composers were really examining the extremes of what they could do with music in every possible direction. And so you get, uh, there's no real one modern style. There are really hundreds of, of modern styles. And so to talk about modern and contemporary music under one umbrella is probably the most challenging of these four. That being said, we've got some tips for you today, and I think these tips will will be helpful in listening to modern music and maybe trying to wrap your head around some more, some of the most challenging pieces that we have in the repertoire of of classical music. So with that, let's, let's get along with our tips. And our first tip, this is the only one where I won't 
play actual any actual examples of music. But the first tip, and this is really important specifically for modern music, is to come with an open mind when you're when you're listening. And that may seem easy, but I want to uh, break that down a little bit because that's actually a really really important one. I think what's key to appreciating and ultimately maybe even enjoying listening to modern music is to have the kind of mental approach that you're giving the composer the benefit of the doubt. There's probably a reason why you're hearing a piece. If it's a piece by a famous composer, this is likely a composer who thousands of really, really experienced classical listeners have listened to before you, and they've determined that this person has something worthwhile to say. If it's on an actual concert, then someone has placed their faith in this piece and they believe it's worth you listening to. And so trying to have a kind of more positive, more optimistic outlook on a piece before it even starts can go a really long way to kind of helping you potentially appreciate and enjoy listening. And that seems, again, really simple, but I think it this kind of mindset differs greatly from the mindset of, oh, this is going to be too complicated and so I just won't get anything out of it. Try to approach every piece as though you're listening to any other piece of music where you're going to listen just as critically. You're going to try just as hard to understand what you think is going on and you're going to try to hear what the composer is is telling you in what you know fully aware of the fact that you might be a relatively new listener and you might not quote unquote understand everything that's going on i think one of the biggest barriers to entry for modern music is that people feel like they need to be advanced listeners to know what's going on and the reality is that if a piece speaks to you at any point in your listening trajectory career if you want to call it that that's great. You don't have to, quote unquote, know what's going on. There are tons of pieces where I feel like I have no idea what's going on. Some of them I enjoy, some of them I don't. But I think it's really important to have that approach, not to try to think uh, you hear a little bit and it's atonal and it's challenging and you just go, oh, this is above my pay grade. I can't really understand this. But to actually just give a full piece of music your attention and a chance and really listen to details. And then if you come away and you're like, you know, here's what I heard in that and I just didn't like it at all, then that's great. But don't say I didn't understand it at all because that's not really what we're trying to get after here. If you've listened and you've appreciated the music for what it is for you in that moment, that's good enough. We don't say that about pop music. And often for me, at least, I barely listen to the lyrics in a pop song. I listen... I hear some of the music, I hear some of the lyrics, I don't really process what they're saying, but I'm not asking myself, oh, am I really understanding everything that's going on? A lot of pop music has really poetic subtext, and there's a lot of interpretation that you need to do of of the lyrics, and we don't think to ourselves, oh, wow, did I not understand? This is too advanced for me. You just listen. And so with modern music especially, I think it's important to take that same attitude. Open mind, try to hear what the composer is trying to say to you. So the rest of the tips will be uh, kind of ways to to go about doing that, a little more practical. And the second one, I think this is the most important 
parameter of music that often gets played with in the context of modern music, and that is listening for tonality versus atonality. And not necessarily liking one or the other more, but just listening for those two things. So what are those two things? If you've listened to this podcast before, you're probably familiar with those terms. But tonality is music that effectively, tonal music is music that sounds harmonious. It sounds pleasing to the ear in some way. It can be major, it can be minor, happy or sad, but it makes sense because the notes seem to fit together. And so uh, to get a little example of that from the world of modern music, here's a highly tonal piece of modern music. And you'll notice it sounds very resonant, very logical, very harmonious. Here's Rainbow Body by Chris Theophanidis. And this is a highly, highly tonal piece that just makes sense to our ears in some way. So here's, here's Rainbow Body first, a piece of tonal music. Just in those few notes, I think you can hear that it, it has this kind of inner logic. It makes sense. It's using similar harmonies, if you know that term, to, to music that comes before in the Romantic, the Classical, the Baroque era, pop music, um, rock music a lot of the time. And it's, it's tonal. It's harmonious. Now, contrast that. Maybe one thing that will really clarify what tonality actually is is the lack of it, atonality, Here's a piece by Webern, um, a highly, highly atonal composer, and just listen to how different this sounds when tonality has actually been stripped away from the music. So here's, here's this piece by Webern, very atonal music. So there's something about that music that feels more kind of confusing in a way. You might even think that the notes are seemingly chosen at random. They're just these random notes that are jumping all over the place and have no inner coherent logic that we can hear. And that is atonality. And if you're familiar at all with modern music or you've gone to one concert before and you heard this one piece that just sounded like a cacophonous mess you've probably experienced atonality. And so the, this listening tip is to listen to atonality and tonality and try to hear them on equal terms. Don't hear something that's atonal and just dismiss it immediately as random notes. Try to still listen to that music with the same level of attention that you'd give tonal music. And then if you happen to experience, because Almost all modern music will use a combination of atonality and tonality. And maybe you'll have highly dissonant tonality, which is coming close to atonality. But tonality and atonality are a spectrum. On one hand, we just heard that Webern that's completely atonal. Not that much music exists that's completely, completely atonal. And we'll still talk about how to listen to that further on this podcast. 
but usually it falls somewhere between highly, highly tonal music, like a pop song or Baroque, and completely atonal music. And so you want to listen to that spectrum and feel how the fluctuating nature of tonality and atonality influences your own perception of a piece. And so if you can listen closely and notice moments of tonality, I often find in modern music that these moments of tonality, when they come amidst a sea of atonality, they're all the more poignant when that happens because suddenly you found this moment of respite, you found kind of your home base, something that you understand more readily, and then you might slip, slip back into a world of primarily atonal music. So I want to play an example of that for you from a composer who I think does this fantastically well, the composer Alban Berg. And the three composers, Schoenberg, Webern, who you just heard, and Berg, are often grouped under the heading of what's called the Second Viennese School. They're thought of as three of the most atonal composers. They actually formulated a way to write perfectly atonal music that has no tonal implications. But Berg actually thought that music should not be 100% atonal. He disagreed with Schoenberg and Webern. And he wrote music that occasionally, very rarely but occasionally, would slip into a moment of tonality. And I actually find that to make his music incredibly, incredibly interesting and engaging to listen to because you have these moments that just shine in the middle of the piece where you suddenly reach this moment of tonality and it makes so much sense. And it also kind of, for some reason, I find that that clarifies a lot of the atonal music that comes before and after as well. You kind of have this uh, juxtaposition between more harmonious sounding music and less harmonious sounding music. So I want to play for you a clip from Berg's Violin Concerto where this happens. We're going along in a primarily atonal piece and then suddenly he decides to pay homage to the composer Johann Sebastian Bach from the Baroque era who wrote highly tonal music. And we get this kind of Bachian chorale that's very tonal amidst this sea of, of dissonant music that we've been hearing for, for 20 minutes already. And so here's that moment. We'll hear a little bit of, of primarily atonal music before and then this, this Bachian chorale. And just listen to the contrast between atonal music uh, this kind of unmoored, slightly hazy style of music. And then we, we suddenly feel our grounding and we hear some sort of harmoniousness when the tonality comes back into the picture. So here's that clip from Berg's Violin Concerto. So we hear at the end of that clip this chorale figure that comes in in the clarinets and the woodwinds, 
And of course, Bear can't resist but including these other little slightly atonal figurations on top of that. We hear the violins right at the end of that clip playing a very dissonant note. But before that, we were hearing primarily atonal music, and it just feels like this ray of sunshine suddenly came into the piece. And so that's my recommendation, and every piece will be somewhere on this spectrum to varying degrees. This is of course, very close to the fully atonal side of the spectrum. You'll you'll encounter a lot of modern music that's more in the middle somewhere. But to listen to the fluctuations between atonal music, dissonant music, and then this very consonant tonal music, and notice what that does for your for your listening process. I think for most, if you listen to the atonal passages knowing that kind of tonal music is coming and there's some some difference between these and they might express different emotions, I think that can often clarify those more confusing passages of modern music. So that's one big recommendation I have, is to listen for tonality and atonality in in modern music as this kind of spectrum. It's something that we we take for granted in all music pretty much coming up to the modern era because basically all music written before... 1900 was was entirely tonal. Some of it was somewhat dissonant, but it was still based in the kind of tonal foundations of, of Western harmony. And that got stripped away very quickly in the modern era. And But with that, there's this enormous possibility for expression because suddenly composers could fluctuate between atonality and tonality. So that's our second tip. Let's move right along to our third and our third is one that applies always, but especially if you're listening to, to primarily atonal music, because tonality is one of the things that we can really latch on to, and that gives us a firm understanding of what we're listening to. It's something that we're very familiar with. I think of it kind of like color in painting. So if you strip away tonality, it's almost like you have a black and white painting. Um but there's still a painting there and there's still a lot going on. And if we think about some of the other things that contribute to a painting, you know, there's the figures, there's the uh, kind of depth perception, I'm blanking on what, perspective, um, there's form maybe if we want to think of it that way, what, what, how is the painting structured, there's size. Um, so we've taken away one of these parameters, but there's several other parameters that might tell us something about the painting. And I think the, the parameter that's equally important to tonality that we can rely on when we've lost that in modern music is the idea of gesture or rhythmic figure. There are so many rhythmic ideas that we're familiar with from all kinds of music that uh, we can listen to in modern music, even in the absence of tonality, and get something out of these ideas. And so when you've lost one of your, uh, you know, your, your sense of bearings in one arena, the tonal arena, you can latch on to these other things like rhythm and tempo and listen for that even more acutely in a way. You know, it's not like composers were just intending to make our lives harder by, by writing atonal music. I think it's a real experiment that they were, they, they were kind of testing out what happens when we take away one of our senses? It's almost like closing your eyes and taking away your sense of sight. Well, maybe your sense of hearing gets a little more acute when you do that. And so similarly, what happens if we take away tonality? 
whoa, maybe we actually start really noticing the fineries of rhythm and gesture and all these other elements of music. And so if you're struggling to get the logic of why are these notes here, these, it's, this music just seems to be jumping around aimlessly, then you can kind of tune out the notes themselves and really listen to rhythm, the pacing at which these notes unfold, the gestures that they make, whether they rise or fall. And so as an example of this, I want us to listen to this piece by Schoenberg, again, a fully atonal composer by, by the middle of his life. And this is a waltz, actually. This is a, a, a movement from, from a piece he wrote for piano, and it's, it's supposed to be a waltz. And of course, it's not going to be a tonal waltz like we're used to, but I want you to listen to this, a short clip of this, with the idea of a kind of dance, a waltz. It's in triple time, and try to hear these kind of dance-like figures that we might expect from a waltz. It's going to sound weird. The notes are not going to make sense. But you might catch even more of the, the nuance of these little figurations, and it might have this kind of gracious, lilting feel, despite the notes being so confusing. So listen to this little passage by Schoenberg and have that idea of a waltz in your mind, a very rhythmic idea of a dance, an elegant dance, and see if that kind of illuminates anything for you in this, in this clip by Schoenberg. So for me, I'm not sure how our listeners feel, but for me, I hear an enormous amount of graciousness and lilt in that clip when I start kind of ignoring the, the atonality and I just listen to the gesture. There's all these bottom, bottom, these little kind of lilting figures. There's a trill, the this little fluttering thing that feels very elegant and gracious as though someone's doing like a little turn in the waltz. And so I find that listening to atonal music in this way can be really clarifying and elucidating because Schoenberg, for example, wrote music that really, really adhered to the, the standards that had been set up by composers before him in the Austro-Germanic tradition, that of writing a waltz, that of writing in sonata form, if we're talking about larger scale form. He did all that stuff. He just took away tonality. And so I think part of the idea was, let me take this one parameter away so that all these other parameters come to the fore. Of course, he also, these notes are not random. There, there actually is an enormous amount of internal logic to them. And that is the exploration of, of a lifetime to try to understand the logic behind the music of Schoenberg and Webern and and it can be incredibly interesting, and these notes actually can start to make enormous amounts of sense when you really dig into this. But for beginning listeners, I think there's also an, an immense amount of stuff to listen to in this music. Because, like I said, it's like meditating or something when you close your eyes and you just listen to the sounds around you. Suddenly you notice all these things that you wouldn't have caught 
otherwise. And I think it's, so it might feel like a disservice, these composers writing this intentionally difficult music, but I actually think it, it serves to clarify some things for us as well, and we can use that to our advantage. So that's the third tip. Listen for these kind of gestures and rhythmic figures. When you're a little confused about the actual notes that are going on, you might find there's a bunch of other stuff that that actually speaks to you and, and gives you some semblance of meaning when you're when you're listening to modern music. So our fourth tip is actually a tip that I've already mentioned in in some other episodes, but I think it's even more important in the world of modern music, and that is to listen to particular instruments, sound qualities, and kind of timbre, instrumentation, whatever you want to call it, but the specific sound quality and color of the instruments that are used and the way the instruments are used in pieces of music. Because one thing that happened across the modern era is composers started experimenting with things called extended techniques, which were these kind of other other techniques that people could use on their instruments other than just the standard methods of sound production. So you'll hear modern music where people are hitting their violins or they're playing something called flutter tongue on the woodwinds where it creates this kind of fluttery sound. They might create, they might blow through the keyholes of their instrument, which creates this kind of whooshing sound. There's all these extended techniques that composers started to use to try to introduce new sound possibilities into an orchestra, into an ensemble. Um, and those are really important to listen to and specifically just to listen to the unique sound quality. And like tonality, a lot of the sounds that composers were experimenting with can often be grating or what you might not expect in a classical concert. You know, who wants to hear uh, the tapping of an instrument in a nice symphony? But like tonality, like like what we were talking about with tonality, I think it's important to embrace the alternative you know in the case of tonality it was atonality in the case of this this is try to bring that same open mind that we talked about in the first tip and really listen to the actual sound quality being produced and try to think to yourself oh it's not so much why are they hitting their instruments this is disturbing my listening but what is that kind of jarring sound contributing to my overall impression of this piece and so there's enormous amount of variety in, in modern music of the actual sounds that you might hear in a piece of music. And it's good to listen to those and really pay close attention, detailed attention to the specific quality color of sound that comes from the ensemble. If you just listen to that in a modern piece, you might find a wealth of of meaning because there might be so many different possibilities and variety of sound quality timbre that you end up hearing. And I want to play one example of this. This is actually a piece by Messiaen called Tarangalila Symphony. And Messiaen with with some some of his friends actually invented a new instrument that Messiaen used in a few of his pieces, including here. And it's got a very odd but kind of alluring, slightly seductive sound quality. And he used it in this, this massive piece, Tarangalila Symphony. And so you'll hear it here. It's called the Andes Martineau. And it, it creates this kind of, it, it almost sounds like untexted singing. I'll let you listen to the clip, but just listen to this clip and really try to 
embrace the the different sound quality that you're going to hear from what you might expect. And then at the end of this clip, you'll also get tons of of interesting sounds that that interrupt the the music of this 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 kind of textless singing instrument. And so I just want you to listen to this clip and really focus on the sound quality of the instruments that are contributing to the overall sound of this clip. So here is Messiaen's Tarangalila Symphony, a little clip from that. So I find that instrument to be, you know, fascinating. It's it's got this lovely, like I said, kind of seductive quality of of textless singing, and then you hear this crazy clownish menagerie of sounds that comes in after that. But I think instead of just tuning that out and being like, oh, this is this is cacophony, there's a lot to listen to there. And if you focus in on the individual instruments and and their qualities and what they're adding. There's an enormous amount of meaning that you might be able to get from just listening to those sound qualities in a more detailed way. And so that's my advice for the the fourth tip is to listen to these interesting techniques, new instruments, new sounds that are produced by by a musical ensemble in in modern and contemporary music and to embrace that, not to hear some someone tapping on their their instrument as necessarily just, you know, knocking that's disrupting the beautiful music that's going on, but ooh, there's there's a kind of jarring sound. How does that affect my understanding of the narrative of what's going on and how does that change my my concept of the meaning that I'm I'm getting out of this piece? So that's the fourth tip. And the fifth tip is is a slightly larger and more abstract one, but I think especially in the context of modern and contemporary music, I think it's good and and we should allow ourselves to listen to this music and ask the kind of more philosophical, deep, abstract questions about the nature of music itself when we listen to a lot of modern music. It's a kind of similar effect that, you know, happens to me when I read a a modernist novel or look at a modernist painting or something like that. You know, when you read a a stream of consciousness novel or a novel that's kind of breaking all of the the kind of standard rules of language, it makes you think about the nature of language itself, the nature of a novel. What do we expect to get from a novel and how is this kind of clashing with my understanding of that? And I think we should allow ourselves and indulge ourselves in thinking about that in the context of music as well. And so I think modern music can serve. A lot of composers were really earnestly trying to get us to ask these questions of, you know, is this actually music? What is music? What constitutes good music? What are the parameters that are necessary for something to be music? I think we'd probably all agree that uh, you know, we listen to a piece by by Schoenberg or by Webern, like we have on this podcast. We'd probably mostly agree that that's still 
music, right? I mean, maybe not everybody agrees on that, but but I think they've shown us in some way that tonality is not a absolute it's it's not part of the definition of what music is. You can have music that is atonal. And so composers often tried to experiment with the limits of that. Is this actually music? What does music mean? How do we get meaning from music? Is a random collection of sounds something that could be meaningful? It's the same type of questions that we ask ourselves when we see, you know, a urinal or a snow shovel by Duchamp, which he's just taken off the street and put in a museum. Is this art? What is art supposed to tell us? And I think those type of uh, pieces of artwork are really trying to get us to ask those questions. So I want to look at that in the context of, of two pieces of what we might call music here. The first is something by Steve Reich. It's called Clapping Music. And I want to play for you a little excerpt from this piece. And I just want you to listen and kind of think about those questions that I'm talking about or any other questions that might arise when you actually listen to this clip of maybe music, maybe sound. So here's a little clip from Clapping Music by Steve Reich. So I find that piece really interesting. You you listen to it and it almost sounds like a round of applause like you hear at a concert or something else. But the difference is that it's clearly rhythmically organized in some way. And so there's this kind of beat that you, you're grooving to. And so that might raise the question of, is that actually music? Is all it takes to have some sort of beat for something to be music? Or does there have to be some sort of tone or or kind of, you know, rising and falling motion to supplement that beat. And so I can't answer that question for, for you or for anyone else. Uh, that's best left to philosophers, but also to just your own feeling about what music actually is. But I think that kind of music, if nothing else, it it raises those questions and it almost demands that we ask them because what else are we really listening to? I mean, it's a great beat and it's interesting, but but it's it's pushing our understanding of what music might actually be. So let's take that one step even further. Here's a piece by John Cage, the very experimental uh, modernist composer called Radio Music. And I just want you to listen to this clip and see if any questions arise for you from from this clip. All right, so there is Radio Music by John Cage, and for me that raises another whole host of questions. There we kind of heard a a random smattering of, of radio sounds, like radio feedback, like we might hear in daily life. And I kind of see that similarly to the Duchamp urinal or or snow shovel, something that we encounter in everyday life, but suddenly it's just been called a piece of music and... And so we're supposed to think about what that actually means. So for me, that raises the question of, is 
all sound music if we just kind of perform it and it gets codified in this way um, is uh, is random sound can randomness be a part of music and there's this whole quote host of of interesting questions that arises John Cage also had this piece called this famous quote unquote piece called 433 which is supposed to be silence for four minutes and and 33 seconds he wrote it in three movements but all of those movements are are silent and so if it's a piano player they just go out there and sit still and but the idea is kind of i don't know exactly what the idea is but it raises these questions what is the music there is is it the silence a lot of people have said that the music is whatever happens in the room so then we ask ourselves is there anything such as true silence you know, there's always some sort of background noise going on. And can we actually experience total silence as as human beings? If not, then it raises other questions about other music that we listen to. Like, oh, let's say there's a moment of silence in a piece of, of classical music that happens all the time. And someone coughs. Is that part of the music? Or is that interrupting the music? When we listen, that's another sound that's hit our ears. Does that contribute to our our sense of Beethoven's fifth symphony, or is that something that we, we tune out and, you know, does that count as part of the music? And so it raises all of these, these interesting questions. And so I think when you listen to a piece of, of modern music like this, especially we're entitled to ask as broad a question as, is this even music? And if nothing else, you know, again, if we're taking our first tip to heart and we're kind of trying to have an optimistic attitude, then this can be a really rewarding and meaningful experience in and of itself. I know it's kind of frustrating in a way to be like, why did this person not actually serve me up music, but just made me think about the nature of music itself. But often that's what these performances can do. And, and those are interesting questions to think about for yourself. And if you're listening to a piece with a kind of careful approach, then you'll, you'll come closer to a lot of those answers, I think. And so that's the final tip is to actually uh, feel free to ask yourself these more philosophical questions that modern music might arise, because I think often that's part of the purpose. And to try to, there are no right answers, but to try to come up with some thoughts on on how you might answer it and and really use the music that you're listening to to help you reach an answer. You know, if you if you listen to the cage and there's something about it that just feels meaningful and like it moves you different from standard radio feedback, then it probably is music in some way. Um, and you can only find that out by listening closely. So I think those are my my five tips for for listening to modern music. I encourage you to be brave and to try it out and to experiment. I often find that modern music is the most intellectually stimulating and and causes the most kind of personal growth when you listen to it because it's often the most challenging. But because it's the most challenging, it can often be the most rewarding. So go out and listen to some modern music that you otherwise wouldn't have and really just give it a chance. Try to listen closely. And especially if you go to a live concert and there's a modern piece on there, don't just tune it out. Really give it the same time of day that you would any other piece on the program and try to grapple with what it might be trying to tell you. So those are our five tips for listening to 
modern music. That'll conclude our listening tips series, but we'll be back shortly with with other exciting episodes. In the meantime, I uh, hope everybody's staying safe. It looks like we are once again surging with this pandemic. So really, you know, it's on all of us to be responsible, wear masks, socially distance and and stay safe and healthy. I hope all of our listeners are also staying warm. It's getting very cold outside uh, and staying optimistic. It's a time of great change in, in the U.S. certainly and across the world. So so all of those good things stay safe, healthy, hopeful and We will be back shortly with more episodes from Attention to Detail. Thanks, as always, for joining us.